This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Good morning, everyone. We are continuing our box set series called Emotionally Healthy Church, uh, based on uh, work done uh, by one of my friends, Jay Pathak, who leads um, Mile High Vineyard in Colorado, and on the books by Pete Scazzaro called Emotionally Focused. You can, or rather emotionally healthy, you can see that there. Now, uh, the first episode, we looked at the value of addressing our emotional health before we hit a crisis. Uh, second episode, we looked at the influence of our family of origin on our emotional health. And underpinning this box set is our belief that our spiritual health cannot outpace our emotional health. Now, uh, this talk, I want to pivot uh, to talking about our responsibilities and our limits. Let me tell you a fable uh, from the Book of Fables by the Jewish rabbi Edwin Friedman. So there's a guy who gets the job of a lifetime. It's a vocation that he's always wanted. It's the life he's always wanted to have. But the job starts in a nearby village. So he starts his journey and he has to cross on his journey across a bridge which goes across a ravine with a river that's a raging torrent below. So he's walking along the bridge and he notices somebody coming towards him in the opposite direction. And as the guy gets closer, He notices that this guy looks just like him and um, they were even dressed alike, except this guy has got a rope wrapped around his body in a series of loops. And it's a rope that if it was um, just stretched out, it would reach a length probably of around about 30 feet. Now, just as the two men are about to pass each other on the bridge, the stranger says to him, pardon me, but would you be so kind as to hold this rope for me for a moment? The man agreed without a thought and reached out and took it. Thank you, said the stranger. Then he added, two hands now and remember, hold tight. And at that point, the stranger climbed over the bridge and jumped over the side. All of a sudden, he feels the weight of the man on the rope and he's dragged to the side and looks down and sees this man dangling in midair with the rope tied around his waist. And he shouts, what on earth are you doing? Just hold tight, the stranger yells. This is ridiculous, the man thought. He began trying to haul the other man in, yet it was just beyond his strength to bring him back to safety. Again, he he looked over the edge and yelled, why did you do this? Remember, the other man said, if you let go, I will be lost. But I can't pull you up, the man cried. I'm your responsibility now, said the other. I didn't ask for that, yelled the man. But if you let go, I'm lost, the stranger replied. The man began to look around himself for help. There was no one in sight. And he began to think about his predicament. Here he was, eagerly pursuing this new job, this new opportunity, this new life for himself. But now he was being sidetracked. Well, for who knows how long. Maybe I can tie the rope off somewhere, he thought to himself. Um, He examined the bridge, but there was nowhere to uh, get rid of this newfound burden. So he looked over the edge and yelled to him again, like, what do you want? Just your help, came the reply. But how can I help? I cannot pull you in and there's no place to tie off the rope whilst I find someone else to help you. Well, just keep hanging on, the man said. That will be enough. Fearing that his arms were not going to hold out much longer, he tied the rope around his own waist. And he looked down and shouted to the guy, Why did you do this? 
Don't you see what you've done? What possible purpose could you have in mind? Just remember, shouted the other man, my life is in your hands now. Now the man was perplexed. Uh, he reasoned with himself, if I, uh, if I let go, uh, then um, all my life I know this, I let this, man, this other man die. Um, but if I stay, I risk losing my job and my dreams. Either way, this will haunt me forever. Finally, he devised a plan. Climb back up by looping the rope around you. But the dangling man had no interest in this idea. I don't think I can hold on much longer, warned the man on the bridge. You must try, appealed the stranger. If you fail, I will die. Now, are you starting to see the implications of this story? Have you ever felt like you are completely responsible for someone else? That they kind of put all their problems on you, that you have no idea how to get out of this kind of weird interaction and relationship where their constant demands, where they put themselves in trouble or make mistakes and somehow it's up to you to sort them out, to sort, sort out some problems and manage them. And if, if you try to do anything to change it, um, then you've let them down. You know that kind of relationship, right? Well, what do you tell the man on the bridge to do here? Now, some of you are really decisive people, like, uh, like you're saying right now, like you just let him go and move on. That's what you do. But you've got that on your conscience for the rest of your life, haven't you? So the man, like on the bridge, he's kind of contemplating all of this and something occurs to him and he shouts down to the dangling man and he says, look, I will not accept responsibility for your life. You've got to do that. You decide which way this ends. I'll become the counterweight. You do the pulling though. You bring yourself up and I'll hold you secure whilst you do that. But all the dangling man can shout up is, I'm going to die. But the man on the bridge replies, no, you decide if you want to be alive and then I will respect your choice and I'll wait for 10 seconds. And through the 10 seconds, the man keeps screaming out, I'm going to die. I'm counting on you. You're the only one who can help me. The man with the rope goes, 10, 9, 8, and then finally, after a long pause all the way down to zero, he lets go of the rope and says, I respect your choice. Now, there's a proportion of you listening who can tell that this is a story with a deeper meaning and allegory. Um, and you're thinking, well, he should have done that first time. He should have done that right away anyway. Uh, I don't know why it took so long. But there's another group of you who are taking the story literally and who are thinking, you just killed that man. And the way that you interpret that story tells you a lot about how you understand your sense of responsibility for other people and specifically what you do uh, with people who make uh, specific demands on you to take responsibility for them. See, I am a pastor and a physiotherapist and, and what that means is, is I am interacting with a lot of people in the midst of their pain. And to be honest, I think a lot of people who are pastors and therapists and social workers and the like choose that role because we like how we feel when we take care of people. But the reality is, is that people like that often take on too much responsibility for other people because they don't know their own limits and they end up burning out. Amongst Christians, 
it is so much worse because we load Jesus into the equation and we say, well, didn't Jesus take care of everybody? Didn't Jesus meet everybody's needs? Didn't Jesus do whatever it took to help other people? Isn't that what Jesus did? And the answer is clear, no, he did not. Jesus repeatedly walked away from people without meeting their needs. He let people down wherever he went because he knew that he had limits. He knew that where he ended, other people began. He would not do for others what they could do for themselves. Now, some of us struggle with this idea that Jesus had limits because we forget that he was human as well as divine. As far as we know, uh, Jesus didn't do any miracles for the first 30 years of his life. He was a faithful son, employee and member of his community. He apparently joyfully embraced the human limits given to him by his heavenly father. Immediately after his baptism uh, by John the Baptist, Jesus went off by himself for 40 days of solitude and fasting in the Judean hills. And during that time, Luke records how Jesus was tempted by the devil to cross the limits of his humanity. So he's like, he's there for 40 days and he's hungry after weeks of fasting and he's tempted to turn the rocks into warm, fresh bread straight from the oven. He's battling with doubts about his calling uh, by God to be Israel's Messiah. So he considers jumping off a tall building to see if God will send his angels to catch him before he hits the ground. Mindful that the scriptures and the prophets say that the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah must suffer and die before assuming all authority in heaven and on earth, he considers a shortcut. He considers a shortcut to avoid all the suffering and death that he knows that he's gonna to have to endure in, and just assuming that power and authority right there and then. But he doesn't do any of those things. Jesus stays within his God-given limits. Now, according to the Bible, accepting our limits with humility, and that word humility comes from the Latin hummus, which means of the earth, um, rather than the chickpea dip that we, we all enjoy. Um, accepting our limits with humility is key to our contentment and touches at the core of our relationship with God. At the heart of Moses's account of Adam and Eve at the beginning of the Bible is their refusal to accept the limits that God has placed around them. Moses uses this allegory to describe the incredible freedom that all human beings enjoy, but also the boundaries or limits to that freedom. Look at John the Baptist, uh, the forerunner of Jesus. His followers are exasperated that Jesus is drawing in bigger crowds than John the Baptist is. And his response is simply to say, I accept my limits, my humanity, my declining popularity. In John 3.30, he says, he, referring to Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. Jesus was the same. Consider this story in Mark 1, 21 to 38. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. And when the Sabbath day came, he went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of that man, he ordered. And at that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? 
They asked excitedly, it has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away, so he went to her bedside, took her by the hand and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch, so Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. So it's been a crazy few days for Jesus. And he's gone from being a little-known carpenter's son from a small village called Nazareth and to becoming the talk of the whole region of Galilee. Now, in a culture with no recognisable healthcare system, supernatural healing was a really big deal and, as we've already read, caused immense excitement. And amidst all of this hullabaloo, what is Jesus doing? Well, let's look at verse 35. Before daybreak the next day... um, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So we travelled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So his inexperienced disciples are like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like there's a ton of people here that need healing. And because you can heal them, you need to heal them. And here's Jesus' response. Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there as well. That's why I've come. So he travels throughout the whole region of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus is saying directly, we are going to let these people down. Like, because I have a mission. And I'm called to do something more than just heal everyone. I wonder if you've ever thought or wondered, and I'm sure you probably have, why Jesus didn't spend his whole life just healing every sick person across the world. Wouldn't that be the most compassionate thing for him to do? Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't set up like the world's first instant healing health service? Well, he knew his limits. He knew what he had to do before he died. Uh, now, turn with me, if you will, to Luke 24, verses 44 to 49. Now, here's Jesus appearing to his disciples after he's been resurrected. He's died, he's been resurrected. And this is what he says to them when he first meets them all as one group. He says, Jesus said to them, the disciples, this is what I told you whilst I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things and I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. All very cryptic, all very strange. But what's clearly the case in that statement is that Jesus needed to fulfill everything that was written about him in the law the the, the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. So Jesus knew his limits. He knew that's what he had to fulfill and he accepted that responsibility and he completed his task. And this is why John, one of the people that records Jesus's life, records Jesus as saying this in John 17 verse four, I have brought you glory. This is Jesus praying to his father. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. 
And again, John records in chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus' last words before he died were this. Three words. It is finished. What's finished? The work that God gave him to do. So Jesus knew he had a very specific mission. He, he had limits. And if he gave himself to, any, to everything else that he could do, he wouldn't have fulfilled necessarily his mission. So Jesus is the perfect example of someone who knows their limits and lives their life to the fullness of those limits. Jesus also knew that he wasn't the only member of the team. He knew uh, that whilst undeniably his responsibilities were unique, only he could die on the cross, only he could be resurrected uh, to reconcile all things to God, as Paul says in his letter to the Colossians. Jesus also knew, though, that his resurrection was just the beginning, the beginning of this incredible reconciliation between God and humanity and with creating the conditions for reconciliation amongst humanity. And he knew that the empowerment for that would come from heaven to his disciples and then outwardly across the whole world. And that's why he says in Luke, Luke 24 verse 49 to his disciples, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus knew that human beings have limits and that we need to work together to get stuff done. I, I wonder if you know your limits uh, and responsibilities like Jesus knew his, or do you think you're some, like some kind of Marvel superhero where you kind of, there's more that you can do. You're a superhero, you're a superhuman. Um, if you just carry on working really hard, you're gonna fulfill so much more than you could even imagine. Like, is, is that how you feel? Listen, spiritually and emotionally healthy people like Jesus understand their responsibilities and their limitations. You see, when you understand your responsibilities and your limitations, you know when to say yes and when to say no. Spiritual, uh, spiritually and emotionally healthy people take responsibility for themselves. There's this um, old Hasidic tale that points out our tendency to want to live out someone else's life rather than our own, which I don't know about you, that's often a temptation. Now, I wanna be like that person. I, I, I wanna have their experience. I wanna have their success. I wanna be like they are. Well, this old Hasidic tale um, kind of uh, highlights this tendency that we have as a human tendency. Rabbi Zuzia, or Zuzia, uh, when he was an old man said this, in the coming world, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zuzia? Why were you not yourself? Why wouldn't you just be yourself? Because you're amazing. You know, our culture resists the idea of limits, um, but it is critical that we embrace our limits. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I am not talking about societal limits based on things like ethnicity and class and education and gender and things like that. I'm talking about these sorts of limits like personality. Are you introverted or extroverted? Are you spontaneous or orderly? Are you aggressive, assertive or passive? You see, our personality can bring limits to the way we live. Um, how about the season of your life? The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a season for everything. Well, we kind of know that in, instinctively, don't we? So what season are you in at the moment? Are you in your early 20s and you're just like working out what you're for and, 
Uh, you're working out what, what your vocation could be, where your talents are and, and where you're happiest, where you're most contented in life. You're just working all those things out and everything's an exploration at the moment. And that's, that's the joy of being in your early 20s. Don't lose that, that, that curiosity for life and that energy for life. But maybe you're parenting children and you're just, your children are all under the age of 11 and you're just constantly tired. You know, I just want to reassure you if that's you, that's completely normal. Um, you're juggling so much at this time, parenting, work, um, trying to maintain your own social life as well. It's really hard to keep it all together. Um, maybe you're empty nesters and you're, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're living by yourself and um, at the same time you're now supporting your elderly relatives. Um, and, and that's a, a different season of life that you're in. It brings its limitations. Maybe your life situation, um, consider that. Maybe you've got uh, limitations. Maybe you know, you're just at the point where you're, you are getting older and you're starting to realize that you don't have as much energy as you used to have and you have to rest more often. Or maybe you're young and inexperienced and you're, you know, you're struggling to, to get a job because someone says you haven't got the experience that you need. Maybe you've got financial limitations. Um, maybe you're married. The Apostle Paul considered, considered marriage a limitation. So there's loads of different ways in which our life situation can affect our lives. Um, consider emotional and physical and intellectual capacities. Maybe you just naturally find people exhausting. You know, uh, you're an introverted person and your emotional capacity for other people is limited and, and other people have seem to have more emotional capacity than you do and that's absolutely fine. It's just the way you are. Or maybe you, you struggle to have the intellectual capacity to be a nuclear physicist or something like that. And you get, you know, that's a limitation that we all have. We all have our limitations. It's part of what makes us human. You may be limited by your scars and wounds from the past and they limit you. Now, of course, God wants to turn those things upside down. He wants to heal you. He wants to release you from the negative impact of those wounds and experiences. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But those experiences do shape our lives and sometimes they limit us. Many of us are scared to embrace our limitations, fearful that our lives will be limited by them. Now this is understandable and it's, of course it's logical, but arguably it's also false. Uh, far from limiting us, embracing our limitations, also enables us to take responsibility for what only we can take responsibility for. Like, for example, our spiritual and emotional health. If we don't take responsibility for our spiritual and emotional health, no one else will. We have to learn to say yes to cultivating our spiritual and emotional health. As a pastor, I have uh, people all the time telling me that they're just way too busy uh, to do this. They don't have enough time to cultivate their emotional and spiritual health. But if there's one thing that the, the pandemic lockdowns over the last 12 months have taught us is this, is that, that no matter how much time we have, we still find it hard to prioritize our emotional and our spiritual health. Now, admittedly, there are some people uh, for instance, who work in the NHS, uh, perhaps working key, key worker roles, or actually teachers and the like, and delivery people. You know, there's been actually they've been busier than ever. But for a large proportion of the population, actually not traveling to work, not commuting, um, actually not 
busying ourselves with our social life, not going to the shops, um, has actually freed up a lot of time in our lives. And the reality is, is that even though we've had that extra time, we've not used it to invest in our spiritual and emotional life. We've not given some of that time to that. And if instead, if you're anything like me, you've, you've filled it with other activities, but not spiritual and emotional health. Listen, only you and I can prioritize our spiritual and emotional health. And I want to say as, uh, you know, with Seven Vineyard, you know, one of our highest priorities is spiritual and emotional health. And we will, we commit to making as many resources available to you and to all of us to make it possible for you to invest in your spiritual and emotional health. Things like Emmanuel Prayer, if you haven't done that yet, just sign up for one. Um, Emotionally focused, join that pathway and start growing emotionally. The Gold Course. Um box sets of talks like this one, week in, week out, we're producing them. The Bible in a year, um, endless worship sets. Uh, and, 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 and that's just seven million. There's, there's a ton more on the internet, right, for you to access. More books than you could possibly ever read. As a church, we are a community of people living and working together. And, and of course, there's lots of different sized types of groups and events that you can participate in. But ultimately, you can, you can be part of that. You, you, you can be part of this church, but you can still not grow emotionally and spiritually. Why? Because you and I don't take responsibility for our own spiritual and emotional health. It's only when we take personal responsibility for our spiritual and emotional health that we'll grow. I'm a pastor. I find myself in the midst of working with pastors from all over the country. Um, I have relationships with people going back 20, 30 years who are, whose passion for Jesus is, is have, having an influence on me. I've read heaps of books. I've written loads of talks. But if I don't take personal responsibility for my emotional and spiritual health, then, then I will not become more mature emotionally and spiritually. It doesn't matter, I can be in the midst of it all and yet not engage with my stuff, with my story, with my, with my health. So I wanna encourage you uh, to not be like the man dangling on the rope. I wanna encourage you to take responsibility for your own spiritual and emotional health, for your own relationship with God. We will resource you, we will help you, we will support you, but you've got to say, I'm gonna do it. I wanna do it. And, um, and, and so if we don't embrace responsibility for that, we will be like the man dangling on the rope. But equally, if we don't take responsibility uh, and embrace our limitations, then we will find ourselves like the man on the bridge holding on to someone else, always taking responsibility for others, stepping outside of our remit, doing more than God ever intended us to, and then not having time for the things that are really important. So... Why don't we pray together 